Hello and welcome to Say That, the podcast where your big questions get real answers. My name is Matt King. I'm your host here in the city of Chicago. With us this week is Jed Brewer. Yep. That's how he answers every intro. We just could normally cut it out, but this time I just wanted you guys to experience the full equine glory of Jed's vocal warm-up routine. Also with us all the way from Rock Church, Tennessee, one of the pastors crashing into church, Lee Younger. Several things. One, I didn't know we were getting a new Jed today. Um, <laughs> Mr. Jed, if you will. <laughs> Hello, Wilbur. Wow, that was really good. That was really fast. Really, Your, your Nick at Night ability is... Uh... Yeah, I had insomnia as a small child in case it doesn't come across clearly. <laughs> So we've got we got a great show. We've got some of your amazing questions, some fun stuff to get into, some very interesting uh, stuff to dig into. But first, I must declare an equestrian emergency. Oh, gosh. Ooh. Now, we recorded this uh, a week before, a couple weeks before you're going to hear it, but uh, the big uh, horse news was, I read from Reuters, Germany's modern pentathlon coach disqualified after punching horse. <laughs> <laughs> I want you to keep this in mind because what happened was an Olympic level athlete who one of her events involved horse riding was so frustrated at getting, trying to get a horse to do what she wanted to that she struck it and was then disqualified from the Olympics. That's like a McEnroe level of, yeah. of dealing with a situation right there. Or uh, was it, didn't we have a, a f- relatively recent tennis meltdown? Was it? Uh, we did. Yeah. yeah, which I think many, many people pointed out online brings up the uh, the idea. Are men too emotional to compete in high level sports? <laughs> but uh, so keep that in mind, you know, Olympic level uh, equestrian athlete can't get a horse to do what they wanted to. So they strike it. And now I'm going to read. From an Instagram post uh, summarizing a men's conference. Join us for our first ever Brave Co. men's conference. Ooh. In partner with church, speakers will be da 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 This is not your typical men's conference, but instead features opportunities to build a brotherhood as well as interactive experiences with professional horse trainer Todd Pierce, who will break a wild <laughs> horse to demonstrate how Jesus pursues, heals, and becomes one with us as a father. Make it stop, Matt. So there's a number of insane things going on here. Um, and before we get to the, the insane metaphors that this is bringing up, the first and foremost, and yes, we did check uh, the official website, and this is 100% real, and this guy has a ministry where he apparently goes around doing this demonstration called Riding High Ministries, in case you're wondering. Um, I don't know much about horses. I really don't. I grew up in East Tennessee, but not with that much money or that little money. There's, I was kind of in the middle where you don't encounter a lot of horses. And I know that they don't want to be broke. Yeah. That's why it's called breaking a horse. And I also know that getting kicked by one hurts a lot. (laughs) Yeah. Also, I want to point out that I went on vacation in Myrtle Beach one time, and I think there was probably a riding high ministries there as well. I think it meant something else. Really? I can't imagine what that would be. With the relaxation of certain state laws here in Illinois, I'm certain there are many riding high outlets, but they are not equated with this gentleman and his horse ministry, best I can tell. (laughs) Can I also point out something else, which is just that when you were reading the blurb, you said it's not like other uh, Christian men's conferences. So what I assume is that means 
uh, it's not going to cost like $800? That's or a great question, Or is it Lee? going to cost $800? I'm here. I'm clicking to the register page, and they don't have a price listed anywhere. That's interesting. They do mention that registration fees are not refundable and cannot be transferred to another event project or Bethel.tv streaming events. Well, see, that sounds like other men's conferences. Yeah. They're saying it's not like those, however. So, yeah. In my mind, because I haven't been, I don't think, to any men's conferences, I, I want to draw the conclusion that other men's conferences are beset by unbroken wild horses that are just terrorizing the event because <laughs> no one can, you know, tame them. I like that. Stampeding. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You're, you're, you're trying to have a cup of coffee with your new friend, John, and all of a sudden there's just a tear of stallions running through, ripping everything to shreds. <laughs> the thing is, Jed, when you, when you show up and you, and you, you know, you, you, you show your registration form that you, that you printed off at home or whatever, they hand you your swag bag and it has carrots and apples in it. Wow. For you to, you know, hopefully tame the wild horses. <laughs> well, I, I don't know because the the just the blurb for this horse guy on the website is very long, and I don't want to read it. But maybe he started this ministry when there was a uh, an evil person stampeding horses through the Vatican while he was there, and he had to break them. Sure, sure, yeah, that 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 tracks. That and that uh, concludes our blazing saddles joke for the episode. <laughs> that was a blazing saddles joke. It, it could be that this guy was when he was a freshman in college. He was in a philosophy class, and the uh, and his pagan philosophy teacher said that there isn't a god because no one could possibly break a wild horse. Oh, oh I like that. God's not dead. Western edition. <laughs> like them franchising out the God's not dead for the, the, the Western States d- division there. The the other thing about this crazy part, and then we'll move on to other crazy parts. Cause it, you knew there was more than one crazy part of the Bethel men's conference. Um, so the description is, you know, he will, this is the powerful live experience of breaking a wild horse. The living parable illustrates how God pursues us, heals us and becomes one with us as our father. I'm pretty sure none of those things are involved in breaking a horse. Um, no. It's just making it do what you want to do by breaking its will, <laughs> right. I think. Which is an interesting analogy for this. <laughs> and also, um, there are plenty of pastoral and like animal analogies and parables in the Bible. Right, right. And they're mostly about... Uh, Someone being very kind to an animal who doesn't deserve it. And is kind of, you know, in the sense of sheep, like a very small, mostly benign and unthreatening animal. Uh, maybe God doesn't have to break you like a wild stallion. Todd, have we thought about that? <laughs> doesn't sound right. Well, it's certainly, I, I think the uh, the dramatic presentation of a guy just walking calmly and picking up a scared sheep wouldn't have the wouldn't really have the drama well you know what i I think you know another way to look at all this right is to say that basically they just want something that feels manly that will be going on at the man conference right and so i i have a few suggestions of just alternate activities one of them is we could just watch a group of guys replace a water main into a house like for just five hours they, they they dig a ditch they pull out a yeah. busted water main. This old men's conference. 
<laughs> Again, oh, if it's gosh. if it's literally just about and and if we need someone who can try and make a spiritual point off of that, I'm sure we can get someone to do that. Similarly, sure, Jesus was a carpenter. Now watch me make this dovetail joint. <laughs> <laughs> we we bring in a pit master to just barbecue yeah. for three hours, and we Low just and watch slow, him do baby. it. Low and slow. And that's, you know, that's the point about sanctification. That's right. You don't, you don't get sanctified all at once. The heat's too hot, baby. You sure. can't handle it. Patience is a slow. virtue. <laughs> I like that a lot. I like, um, could we pitch a men's conference where it's like you'll, you'll come and do manly, manly stuff, but it's just our way to trick people into paying $800 and they come renovate a building we bought for cheap? <laughs> that's good. Also, we just choose any other culture where the thing that would be considered manly is something that American men don't necessarily consider manly or some some area of of uh, of uh, you know domestic helpfulness where men have just have just have a total abdication of responsibility and and helpfulness, but just like we just put this guy on stage, every other culture of the world, this is what manly men do. And Love all it. the American men are just completely befuddled. Welcome to the Bethel Leon chapter men's conference. <laughs> We're going to learn to make a sauce. <laughs> Bonjour. <laughs> yeah, I like that a lot. Um, so then there's the other uh, speakers at this uh, this insane thing here. Um, my favorite is a gentleman who is the co-founder of Bethel Music. And it mentions, so you're going through the blurb of, you know, why is he speaking of this thing? And it's, you know, he's written all the songs and led the worship and whatnot. And then there's this sentence, which I think is in- interesting and buried in there towards the end. Uh, along with writing and co-writing countless worship songs, I'm pretty sure you could count them. Like you have to write them, write it down for copyright reasons. So you yeah. probably count. But, uh, he authored his first book, When God Becomes Real, in 2019, about his journey out of a six-month nervous breakdown. <laughs> so, best we can tell, this dude is no more, cannot be by the calendar, if you wrote the book in 2019, more than two years off a full-on nervous breakdown. Why is he speaking at a conference? Right, right, right. Where there's going to be wild horses running around? That can't be good for the nerves. <laughs> So then we've got some names, not the names of people. We won't be naming any people, but so there's here are the organizations represented at this insane thing. So we mentioned the, uh, the horse breaking guy whose thing is called riding high ministries. Then we've got someone representing brave co someone representing the whole man project. Ah, someone representing the co-founder of loving on purpose which is far more successful than loving accidentally. Sure. Absolutely. <laughs> um, an author of wild at heart. There was another wild one. Something else was uh, wild down here at the end. Um, and would you be shocked to know that none of these people look like they've ever done a day's work in their life? I am not surprised by that. <laughs> you know, you could, if you wanted to get a bunch of men together, you could work on a uh, communication. Uh, dealing with uh, your your childhood traumas and issues. These are all things that might make one a better partner. Sure, absolutely. A uh, member of their community. 
we're going to watch a guy wrestle a horse. (laughs) (laughs) Again, why stop there? If, if animal wrestling is the thing, why not wrestle a crocodile? Why not wrestle a bear? I mean, let's go nuts with this. My men's conference could beat up your men's conference. (laughs) This is what I'm saying. Oh, I like that. Invading another men's conference. That's the most <laughs> That's the most western male thing you could do. Yeah, lay siege to the next door men's conference. That would be really good. It's outlast them. Cut off their supply of, you know, uh what what mochas? Sure. Of really really overpriced meats. Right. Yeah, um, so this thing starts off with a, have you ever questioned your role as a man? No. Not not really. Next. In this hour, <laughs> masculinity is often shamed and men don't know what it means to be a man. Really? Uh, okay. True masculinity was built into our DNA, and yet it has been blurred by the many conflicting messages we've received from the world around us. You've gotten dangerously close to admitting that masculinity is a cultural construct there, friend. Indeed. Mm-hmm. We live in a time when men are searching for the answer, hunting for the truth, and looking for the code book to a manhood. But who has the answer? Where is our ethos? So even if I'm taking their thing on a, their self-aggrandizing thing on face value, you say, people are confused about what it means to be a man, and it's a difficult world, and who knows the answers? This guy from Riding High Ministries. (laughs) That's an unexpected answer. The man code book? That's the thing that we're looking for? The code book to manhood. Uh, uh, like, okay, I got to ask, because, I mean, this is this is new to me, you know, and I'm sure that, that says something negative about me. But still, though, like, can I unlock features of manhood if I get the code book? Nice. Oh, maybe. Like, what would those be? Because clearly, like, there's there's, like, either you're unlocking features or there's cheat codes or something. That's right. typically what a code book is for. So, like, what what do I get here? I think one of the things you certainly get is the ability to um, never apologize for anything, but just always be right. Oh, dang, that's pretty that's sweet. Good. That's a very Konami code kind of thing. Can I tell like really super bad jokes, but people laugh at them inexplicably? Is that one of the features that gets Definitely. unlocked? Well, you'll yeah. laugh at them so hard you won't notice that other people aren't laughing at them. So that's something. Okay. Okay. Well, I think in a kind of a D and D way, you can unlock like plus two drywall damage <laughs> or when that's the way you've tried to deal with your repressed emotions about a thing is just punching drywall. Well, I, I think that's excellent. I want to ask about this cause this would actually help me out. Can I get an instant boost to sport knowledge? Oh, cause I have like none of that. And if that could happen, <laughs> like if I could just know and not just how like how how basketball works, but like players from fifty years ago and how good right. they were at certain things. Like I would consider going to a men's conference so I could just have that zapped into my brain. So you're looking for kind of a, a sabermetrics expansion pack. Yes, precisely. precisely. Like if you this pay the two hundred dollars to go to this one of these sessions, they'll they'll tell you how to understand war, as in the <laughs> the baseball term. Yeah. But also maybe the other one. Maybe we have time for that too. The ability to be muted on Facebook by the most people that you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I do like, as you're mentioning you know, the, the sports thing there, and it brings us to the war thing, which made me think of like the art of war. 
could we could we have a men's conference where we cliff note you like the five books that are the only thing any middle aged dude will admit to reading for some reason? Right. In nineteen eighty four, yeah. uh, Art of War, Machiavelli, which none of them have ever read, and no one should read unless you're maybe maybe Atlas Shrugged. There you go. Yeah, I like that a lot. Watchmen, but I didn't understand it, and I think Rorschach's a really cool guy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> See, now if we threw our own men's conference, we could could we advertise these things to trick the people who need to come to our men's conference to it, and then just do the opposite of this? <laughs> be like, oh, and now for our, uh, we told you this was going to be our, uh, you know, punch your emotions away sto- uh, workshop, but now we're actually going to deal with accepting and appreciating art with non-male protagonists. Yeah. Like we told you that someone was going to put a raptor in a headlock, but this buzz group is actually going to tell you how to give an apology. Yeah, absolutely. Like we told you, you were, we were going to break a horse. We're all going to learn, learn to break the horse called how many times you've been wrong already today, Dave. (laughs) (laughs) Now that's a conference. That's the non-apology horse is the horse that actually needs to be broken. And maybe we can get that going when we launch the Say That Men's Conference. But for now, we're going to close the door on the Brave Co. Bethel Men's Conference and declare emergency off. If you want to uh, secure your space at the first ever uh, Say That Men's Conference, which will be open to everyone because we can't afford to turn away customers at this point, let's be honest. Um, you can go ahead and sign up for Bridgebox. I'm sure the first messages about it will be going out there. Everyone who signed up at missionusa.com slash Bridgebox. But for now, before we're ready to announce that, you'll continue to get songs, sermons, Bible studies, blog posts, all sorts of good stuff, encouraging stuff into your inbox the first of every month. And you can check us out at really our de facto bridge conference. It's the Bridgecast. It happens every single week. We haven't had a horse yet, but we have had bees. So that's the thing that has happened to the bridge. And maybe we'll show up on the Bridgecast. Who knows? Facebook.com slash the bridge Chicago every Sunday at 7 p.m. Central Time, or they're all archived on that page. If you want to check those out at your own pace. We're going to jump to our first question here. If you have this all the way to the end, I'll use some ways to get in touch with this, or you can scroll down in your episode description and click the links there. Our first question comes in anonymously and says, I have a family member who makes rude comments about my past. I don't think she understands what I've been through, and I don't think she's trying to understand. She makes me feel bad about myself and my past. How do I forgive her and myself and have a family relationship? And a really excellent question, a a lot going on, obviously, and a lot of stuff that I think is very relatable to a lot of people. And Jed, where would we start off with it? Well, you know, I'm really glad that you wrote in. I think this is a great question. I'm sorry for what you're dealing with, uh, and we love you, we believe in you, we're praying for you. I think one of the things that can happen, and and particularly when family members are involved, is in a weird way, we can kind of let the the complications and the ins and the outs and the what have you's kind of make it appear more complex than what it actually is. Um, One of the things that can often be useful is, what if I had to explain this situation to a five-year-old? How how would I explain the situation to a five-year-old? And if we had to do that, and not a precocious five-year-old either, just a five-year-old. If we had to do that, I think what we would land on is I've got this person who acts like a jerk towards me. What do I do? I think that's what the question would be if we had to break it all the way down. And I think that's important because 
again, when we've got people that we want to be accommodating towards, uh, you know, their family or their old friends or something, I think we have a way of kind of explaining things for them and giving them a benefit of the doubt they really don't deserve. So it goes from, I got this person acts like a jerk and I'm trying to figure out what to do too. Well, they've got issues and struggles and I've got issues and struggles. And sometimes their issues and struggles play off of my issues and struggles. And then, but they don't understand my struggles, but I feel like if they did understand my issues, then their struggles would be less. "Eh, They're being a jerk. I'm trying to figure out what to do. We probably can't solve the super complicated version because it's maybe not exactly what's going on. But if the question is just, I've got this person who acts like a jerk, what do I do? I think the interesting thing there is I bet you already know what the answer is because uh, it's not fun, but it's actually pretty straightforward. If you've got someone, whoever they are, who's acting like a jerk towards you, well, the, the first answer is get distance. We, we really yeah. can't do anything if the jerkification is ongoing. Like if this person is being abusive to us currently, uh, figuring out kind of uh, forgiveness and understanding and all that, that that's not really possible till we get out of uh, firing range. So that, that's thing one. Then the next thing, of course, is setting boundaries. Is, is And that starts with an internal thing, which is thinking, what am I willing to put up with? What am I not willing to put up with? Um, you may decide that, you know, a small amount of, you know, borderline rude stuff. Maybe you're willing to give a little bit of, of birth to that here and there. I'm not saying you should, but you may decide that for yourself, but you may also decide, but there's a certain point where I just can't have it. I'm not putting up with it. It's not, I'm not going to be around for that. Um, at which point you put those boundaries in place. You, you've made a decision of what you'll put up with and what you won't. Again, that's not about controlling that person's behavior. That's about controlling what you're going to be around for. Um, and then you hopefully wait that, for someday their behavior changes, uh, for someday they, they get a clue and they, they act right, or at the very least act different. I think that again, if we boil this down to, I got this person who acts like a jerk. What do I do? I, I think, you know, those answers already. I think, you know, that it boils down to, I need to get some distance. I need to set some boundaries. I need to give them an opportunity to sort themselves out and change their behavior. I think it's worth asking why, why aren't we looking at it that way? Mm. Um, is there a reason why we're not looking at it that way? And I, I, I don't know, I can't see inside your brain, but I might guess that we don't want to have a person that we love and care about where, where we're going to need to land is they're kind of being a jerk and I need to, um, get some distance from them. Cause that's a crappy thing. It really, really sucks to have a person that we care about who's supposed to care about us and we're supposed to be family to each other and we're supposed to love each other. And because of the way they're choosing to live their life, what I'm left with is, dude, I can't really have much of a relationship with you. And I think that when we're faced with that, I, I won't put it on you, but certainly I have moments of being tempted to want to try and see it as more complicated than what it is mm-hmm. as a way of keeping from needing to land on, no, it's just a bad situation and I, I need to, to get out of it. I think it's worth looking at, maybe this is a bad situation and you need to get out of it. I, I think it's worth giving yourself permission to explain it the way that you would to a young child and recognizing it's just a person being mean and they don't have a point and, and it's not, I'm not going to put up with that. I know that's not fun, but I think that there is a lot of peace and a lot of healing to be found on the other side of it. And whatever chance there is for a good and healthy relationship also waits on the other side of that. And we want all those things for you. We certainly do. And Lee, as far as getting to that other side, the judge talking about, I think one of the things for someone who's never been in this situation before, or they're at a new level with it, there that can be counterintuitive is it can be very easy to think, 
I need to get deeper into this. I need to have more conversations with this person. I need to make sure they see more and more of my side of things. And if I have the right words or the, the right amount of words, that's really going to be the thing that changes this. And difficult is to hear, we oftentimes need, oftentimes need to go in the opposite direction, right? Yeah. I mean, the, one of the things that's interesting about addiction and recovery is uh, there are people who get it and there are people who have no clue what's going on in that whole situation. Um, I was in a situation <clears throat> a couple of years ago where I was in a store uh, with, with a bunch of a bunch of guys and there was one guy in particular, just a bunch of guys talking. There was one guy in particular who had known me um, from some prison ministry that, that I had done with a couple of my friends and, and, you know, and this guy was working on changing his life and these other people that we were around didn't know about any of that business or whatever. And, but we're all just kind of talking, just kind of shooting the breeze and everything. The other dudes left and, and we were in a situation where it was just me and that one guy, uh, on our own. And as soon as everybody else left, he, you know, all the joking left and he, and he just kind of pulled up on me and said, I, I just want you to know, because I know you know what this means and I know you care about it. I'm about to get my one year chip. Um, at, in the, uh, in this, uh, in this 12 step program. And I just wanted to tell you that I, I knew that you would know what was up with that and, and you would celebrate it and everything. And it was this acknowledgement because, you know, we had worked together. I mean, you know, he had, he had been around me when he was, you know, on harder times and I was doing some prison ministry stuff that he knew this is a person in my life who gets what I'm going through, who gets what the 12 steps is about, who gets the the work that I've put into this. He wasn't telling everybody about that because he had had enough experiences to know not everybody gets this. Not everybody knows what's up. And the people that do, that know how to celebrate it, that know what's going on, you have the right to make a distinction and to have the discernment to know not everybody knows what this journey is like. Not everybody knows how to celebrate this. Not everybody knows. And, and I have the right to... Um, to exactly as Jed said, to get some distance with people who don't. Um, I think it's really important for us to look for a second at, um, and it's exactly what Jed said. It's setting up those boundaries, which is determining what you will do and what you will not do in terms of this relationship. It sucks, but you have the right to do it. Um, one thing that's really important about your question was you talked about how do I go about forgiving myself and how do I go about forgiving them and kind of moving forward in my relationship? This is a really, really great point that you brought up, and I'm so glad that you asked it. This has application to so many folks in so many situations, um, which is there is and, – and this is a tough thing for a lot of people who are on the Christian thing, who, who have a relationship with Jesus in any way, and um, – and because a lot of folks will take advantage of us not really knowing this or not really knowing what the deal is, there is a gigantic difference in you forgiving someone who's, who has hurt you and then you having a relationship with that same person going forward. There is a difference there. It, it is not a, a one-to-one guarantee that if you forgive somebody who has hurt you, that now you are – now that means everything is – is uh everything is squashed to the level that you now have to have the exact same relationship level or the exact same relationship exposure with that person that you did before. When you think about someone who has hurt you, if you forgive them, that is something that you are doing kind of 
It's almost like a gift that you're giving to yourself. That's between you and the Lord. And you are telling the Lord, Lord, I forgive that person for hurting me because I don't want to carry around the burden of being angry about it or wondering how I'm going to get them back or how I'm going to pay them back or whatever it is. I am going to cut that off and let that go. I don't want to carry that around. I don't want it, I don't want it messing with my spirit. I don't want it weighing me down. I'm going to let that go. But that is not the same thing as having a relationship with that person going forward because relationships and friendships or reconciled relationship involves trust. If you forgive somebody, what you're saying is, I am emotionally setting myself free from the weight of what that person did to me and the the thoughts of how I'm going to get them back. That does not mean that that person who hurt you has earned your trust in any way. And if you're going to have a a reconciled relationship going forward, the person that you're in a relationship with needs to demonstrate that that they are a person that you can trust. Trust is earned over time. We give love. We forgive freely. That's between us and the Lord. Trust is not for free. Trust is earned, and it's something that you don't want to just give away. There is a difference, and, and, and Christians need to understand this. There is a difference between forgiveness and trust, and you have the right to say to someone, I have let go the anger and the pain that I was holding on to because of what you did to me, but that does not mean that we're in a relationship because you have not earned that trust. That is a wise thing to do. That takes discernment, but it is a wise thing and is a right thing, and it's something that you need to understand. There's a gigantic difference, and you have the right to create those boundaries, to create that distance, and not be in a relationship right now. That's a really, really strong point, and one of the things that that points to is, and you mentioned it in your question of how do I forgive myself and her? Um, it's very difficult to draw these boundaries and even more difficult to be in the presence of someone who makes you feel bad about yourself. If you still bet, if you still feel bad about yourself, um, that really, really amplifies those things and puts you in a situation where you're more likely to put up with that stuff, unfortunately, because there may be part of you that thinks, well, I did do those things, or maybe it's just, they're just being honest. The favorite uh, statement of the person who's being a huge jerk for no reason. Um, but you do need to start with forgiving yourself, um, with dealing with your own issues, working those steps and whatever your, your particular uh, case may be. And boundaries are going to be really important to that because there are some people who can really just wreck that on you. And that's going to really have a tough, uh, a tough impact on the work you're trying to do. So we want to have boundaries, not only to protect our own emotional state and our own mindset, but to protect that good work you're doing and that stuff you're building in your own life. That's very, very important. The last thing we'll say on this is when it is family, I think there's often a temptation to say that because this person knows me well, at least in some way, they know me for a long time, that their read on things must have some validity. Mm. And that's just not true. Yeah. Uh, there's no reason to think that because someone shares genetic material with you, that they inherently know you better than anyone else. There's no reason to think that just because someone has known you for a long time, they have a great accurate read on who you are now and the things you're doing and the changes you're making. And the comfort I would offer you in that is uh, the the 
God who knows you best and knows everything about you does not judge you and does not look down on you and is not trying to throw your, your past in your face. So we shouldn't be looking to deal with that from other people either, just because they may have a certain uh, familial relationship with us. That is not an excuse for uh, being unkind to someone. Right. Move on to our next question here. It comes in anonymously and says, I've heard that God has a plan for my life. How do I figure out what that plan is? And a great question well put. And Lee, where do we start off with this one? Okay, so this is a really cool question. It's a really, you know, it's a question with like, there's there's a lot of play in the steering wheel. There's a lot of ways you could take this. Um, and, and a lot of stuff we could say on this. And so I want to start with something that dealing with a particular temptation for a lot of Christians, definitely for a lot of young Christians, um, whatever you do, I want to encourage you to not start by assume, assuming that the stuff that interests you is off the table. For a lot of Christians, what we assume about the will of God is whatever God wants for my life, it's going to be something that I naturally would hate or I naturally would find to be difficult or just challenging because that's just who Jesus is. He just wants to, you know, he just wants to break everybody's will like a horse that needs to be broken. Like, let's not assume that the stuff that really interests you is off the table. Um, Let's look at some of the stuff that you really like, that you really like in a disinterested way. Like, you just, it's just kind of part of who you are to be into whatever you're into. And then what I would say is to enter into a process where you talk to God. And and I can't say it any more simply than that. You just talk to him about stuff. Tell him about who you are. Tell him what you're into. Tell him what you like to do and what you don't like to do. Like, tell him about the stuff that pisses you off and the stuff that gets you really fired up. Just all of that stuff. And little by little, the thing that I would encourage you to add into that piece is just a practical... um exercise of taking some time in your day, even if it's just a few minutes and just listening, like tell God everything you can tell him that you can think to tell him about what you want, what you like, what you're into, what you think you're good at, all of that kind of stuff. And then put your phone on, do not disturb and take a few minutes, even if it's just five minutes and just try to listen. Try to clear your head of trying to figure anything out or trying to fill in the, the empty space or anything like that. Just get some reps trying to listen and ask the Lord some questions. Um, ask Him, start to include Him on some small decisions, big decisions into your day, and take all of these little things that you're going into, just take them to Him, and, and if you feel like any kind of little nudge, like maybe He's calling me into this, then look for what is a, what's a small buy-in? How can I dip my toe into that thing, into that issue that needs to be solved, into that problem that people are looking at, into uh, this, this job or this interest or whatever it is, and then see how it goes. Um, again, I think one of the misconceptions that we have is just that the Lord wants to make things hard on us and that whatever the will of God would be, would be something difficult, something awful, and something you don't naturally want to do. But I, what I've found in my own life and in the lives of people that, that, that I care about, that I've been around, 
The Lord is actually really interested in the things that interest you. He actually made you that way. He made you to have certain interests, and he would love for you to figure out some of those things. And that may be kind of the long game of of some of his calling and some of his will for your life. So dip into some of those things. Um, Talk to him about every piece of it. Set aside some time to start to figure out what it would look like to listen to him, and then you're going to be well on your way. I think it's a really, really great place to start that out. And Jed, I really like that Lee is using the incremental language there of, of feel out and small buy-in and little sparks and things like that. I, I wonder how often we think of God's plan as a lightning bolt moment, but what does it look like to find that in the process and have it be a continuous process? Well, I think we need to start by being open to the idea that it would be a continuous process. Um, I, I think that it's so easy, like if you, first of all, I, I agree with every single thing Lee said, and, and I think it's worth rewinding back and listening to that whole answer again. Once you've done that, let's do this. I want you to think about kind of various heroes and heroines of the faith and, and people in the Bible. And I want you to think about the way that you've heard their lives discussed, right? So uh, Moses led the people out of Egypt. And, um, you know, Abraham, uh, you know, uh, brought forth, uh, Isaac and, um, you know, uh, Paul, uh, you know, spread the gospel and we have this way and, and those are true things, but we have this way of looking at basically this one thing that a person did and well, that's, that's it. That was their life. That's, that's the whole deal. And then saying, okay, well, what's my one thing? How do I, how do I figure out my one thing and just get on that? And then I'll just go do that. But there's a few problems with that. The, the first is that's not how life works. That's not how Paul's life worked or Abraham's life worked or Moses' life worked. Um, yeah, there, there was, looking back thousands of years later, there, there was kind of one thing that we really tend to focus on for, as people who, who read the Bible, but they, they lived a whole life. And in fact, I'm going to pull this verse up because this is really intriguing. This should be from the Gospel of, God, of John. So in John chapter 21, verse 25, uh, John writes, Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. Now, what's fascinating about that is you say, well, what, what was Jesus' one thing? Well, Jesus died for our sins, of course. Well, and obviously, yes, that is this incredibly important thing that, you know, uh, changes the entire history of mankind. But literally, the Bible says Jesus did many other things as well, (laughs) and um, more than we have room to get into, more than we have room to write down. And so I think we we need to start to go back to Matt's really good question of, you know, how do we view this as a gradual thing, but recognizing that it is a gradual thing, that that nobody's life is this monolithic, I did one thing and only one thing, and everything in my life was in service of that one thing. That, that's just not true. Again, it's easy kind of going back literally thousands of years later and, and reading historical documents to, to view people that way, but basically no one's that one-dimensional. And so you aren't either. The, the journey of living the life that God has for you is going to be day by day, and it's going to be multifaceted, and that's okay. That's, that's how it should be. The two questions to go along with the great stuff that Lee has already given you, the the two things that I would have you cook on, that by design, there is not one right answer to this, and there is not one static answer to this either. These are things that are meant to vary one day to the next, one year to the next, one decade to the next. The first question is, what brings you joy? 
Mm. I, I don't want you to judge that question at all. Right. I just, I just want you to think about it. What brings you joy? What, what brings you a sense of delight in your life? And again, that should be and answering that should be an ongoing journey. Like your answer to that today probably shouldn't be the same as your answer to that a year from now. The second question is, in what ways do you like serving others? Hmm. Not in what ways are you good at serving others. That's a different thing. In what ways do you like serving others? In what ways do you enjoy serving others? I know some people where their greatest thrill in life is to cook for other people. And I know other people who would pay any amount of money to never, ever have to be in the kitchen for any reason. <laughs> um, one of those isn't better than another. They're just different. In, in, in what ways do you like serving others? And again, that's not a static thing either. I think that that is likely to change day to day and week to week and year to year. And then the question that really goes with both of those is, what does it look like for you to give yourself the permission to fully investigate both of those questions? What does it look like for you to give yourself the permission and the space and the time and the whatever it takes to dig deep on those? Like, I, I think you're cheating yourself if I ask you what brings you joy and you say, Cheetos! I mean, yeah, I, I get that, but like, we all want to short brain that question. Um, and when I ask you, what ways do you like serving other people? Say, telling them about God. Oh, well, uh, is that the right answer or is that your actual answer? We have a way of wanting to go cheap and wanting to go short and wanting to go, uh, Sunday school with these questions. Give yourself permission to not do that. Give yourself permission to dig deep and to really investigate and to keep investigating what brings me joy. And in what ways do I feel engaged when I serve other people and take all of that, just like he's saying to the Lord in prayer. I think if you do that, you're going to find the kind of answers that you are looking for. I think that's fantastic, fantastic stuff. And one small thing I would add on the end here that both these guys pointed to, and that is the ongoing nature of this. Uh, God does not have a destination for your life. He has a plan for your life. That's a bit of a different thing. And as, as three guys on this show who have all found what, commonly would be referred to as their calling and their, you know, that kind of stuff. It doesn't look the same today as it did five years ago. It's not going to look the same in five years. Some things about it look the same, some things don't. And we have on the flip side of that, we've all seen the dangers and the kind of unhappiness and the stagnation that somebody comes from by saying, I'm, I'm thrown into neutral right here. I do this. I like it. I'm good at it. And I'm, this is me. This is what I do. And I am this. And if that stops evolving and you stop involving the Lord in figuring out what that's going to be, that can go to a bad place too. There's not just a one stop shop on all this stuff. So uh, it's complicated for everybody. It's messy for everybody. Nobody has a hundred percent of that picture. So uh, tomorrow you can be a step closer on that than you are today. And that's really the best any of us can do in the long term. We're going to jump to our final question here. It comes in and says, I recently heard someone preaching on Matthew 6, 14. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. The preacher was saying that if you don't get forgive people, God won't forgive you. I can see getting that from this verse, but it doesn't sound right to me. And again, another great question. We love the specificity. We love the, the clarification. And Jed, where do we start off with this? Well, I'm really glad that you wrote in because I think that I think that a lot of the things that Jesus had to say are 
invitations for us to think deeply um, and, and invitations for us to engage our brain and love God with our whole minds. Um, and I think a lot of things that Jesus had to say are almost – this is my opinion. You don't have to think this for yourself, but I do. I, I think a lot of the things Jesus said are almost designed to defy being able to take at face value um, as if he wanted us to go deeper with them. And I think that's what we need to do here. There are three things that are plainly true about forgiveness, both from a scriptural standpoint and from a common sense standpoint. Here's the first one. God clearly prioritizes it. That's thing number one. God really cares about forgiveness. He clearly says that forgiveness is the place we want to land, noting, of course, that forgiveness is a process. That leads to thing number two that's plainly true about forgiveness. It is a process, and the biblical idea, the Jesus-y idea of forgiveness is about canceling a debt. Um, Jesus uh, told stories. If you want to read a really interesting one, you can find it in Matthew 18, verses 21 through 35. Uh, Jesus told stories where he made it crystal clear what forgiveness meant to him. And it's the, the example he's using are financial. You owe somebody money, and then they say, you don't owe me that money anymore. That's, that's what forgiveness means. What's worth noting is both what Jesus pretty clearly says it means and also the other things it doesn't mean. Because when Jesus tells stories about forgiveness, it's that a debt is canceled. It's not that we're going to then owe, uh, loan that person more money. Um, it, so there are some very interesting inclusions and exclusions in the way that Jesus describes this forgiveness that is very, very important. And then there's our third thing is no one does this perfectly. Mm-hmm. No one does this 100%. Given that, the idea of reading Matthew 6.14 as a mathematical statement of doctrine of if you harbor any unforgiveness in your heart towards anyone at any time for any reason, then you are shut off from God's forgiveness and functionally speaking damned. That couldn't possibly be the way it's intended, because if that were the case, heaven would be empty. I want you to think about that for a second. I want to repeat that because I really want you to, to, to dig on this. No one does anything perfectly, which means no one forgives perfectly. There is no one who practices 100% forgiveness in their lives. It's not possible as a human being. So if we were to read Jesus' statement here as a systematic theology-esque mathematical equation describing if there is any form of harbored bitterness in our hearts, God refuses to forgive our sins and therefore we are kept from his presence, then no one can be saved. Therefore, it has to mean something else, thus taking us back to the idea of, I think Jesus is trying to encourage us into a deeper dialogue with him by giving us things that don't have easy answers. Forgiveness matters. It really, really matters. God really, really cares about it. He wants you to forgive people. Also, that's a journey. We land on forgiveness. We don't start there. And it's not a thing of saying, well, I'm not allowed to be bad at you, therefore I must forgive you the end. That's, that's not how it works. What forgiveness is matters. Forgiveness is about canceling a debt. If you want to look at it from a more aggressive standpoint, it's about not pursuing revenge. Those are equal sides of the same coin, but it's saying I am owed something. I'm choosing not to pursue it. Forgiveness does not mean pursuing a further relationship, and it does not mean loaning that person more money. It is 
I am letting go of this debt. I am canceling this debt. And again, no one does that perfectly, which Jesus definitely understands and we understand. And we want to take that sense of pressure and false guilt off of you. Absolutely right. I think that's all great stuff. And Lee, what would we add to that? There's not a ton to add to it. It was a fantastic answer. I agree absolutely with every word that Jeb was saying there. The... I love this idea of the invitation to think deeply because it encourages us to go back to what we were talking about in the last question, which is the process of of getting reps under our belt, getting better at having a dialogue with God. One, One thing that I think the Lord would like us to be able to do is to talk to Him about why we're having such a hard time getting over, you know, a thing that happened to us. Yes. That that he would want to have that conversation. Why are you angry? Why do you feel slighted? Why do you feel cheated? And and for a lot of people that have to work through some forgiveness, through some relationships in their life, you have very good reasons for that. Like somebody really did hurt you. Somebody really did treat you poorly. Somebody really did gaslight you. And, you know, even there's all kinds of stuff that people are going through and where they're, they're triggered, they're upset, they're angry. They're uh, somebody's been, you know, they've been manipulated. They're afraid. And, and if we're going to get any kind of healing and have healthy relationships, we've got to do some deep digging on the whys. We can't just throw a blanket over it and say, I forgive it. It's over. It's not over. Exactly as Jed's saying, it's a process, it's a journey, nobody does it perfectly. All those things are super important. And anybody that is in any kind of you know counseling or therapy or that kind of stuff, you're going to be encouraged to have those deep conversations. And, it, and that's exactly what the Lord would like to do with you too, is for you to be able to look at somebody and say, oh, I can't get past this. I can't forgive it. I'm angry. I'm furious or I'm triggered, or I'm, I'm afraid of them. I don't want to see them. And then, and then that would take you to a place, if you're completely honest, of like, Lord, why can I not forgive this? Well, for a lot of people, a lot of people don't know why they're upset. And they actually need to explore that space. They actually need to get in there and look at and be able to define, this is what this person did to me. And until I can put my finger on it, I actually can't forgive it. I can't just throw up, you know, just like uh, just like an eraser, like just Christian, I just Christian erased this. I actually have to be able to say, when I had this conversation with this person, they manipulated me in this way. And I need to know that. I, I have a very dear friend who, um, you know, just recently started a new job and somebody that they work with in the new job they when they were you know spending time with this person they realized oh wait a minute i feel the same triggers i used to feel around my mom thankfully this person has done a lot of work in counseling to deal with the the messed up relationship that 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 she had with her mom and so she was able to recognize immediately this is what's happening to me, and now I'm going to deploy the same tools I've learned in counseling on this relationship at, at, at this new job. Well, that's really, really important. If we just had a blanket forgiveness and we never explored the space of why I'm angry or why I feel triggered or why I feel afraid, then th- then like my friend wouldn't know what to do when, when she encountered this exact same kind of behavior coming from a different person. 
the Lord knows all of that. Another kind of deep wrinkle to this thing is, it's one of these things where, one of the things I've always loved about, um, about, about Jed's songwriting, he, he'll have a, he has a concept that comes up in several songs where we realize that one of the reasons I don't understand the Lord very well is I actually, if you were to, if you were to give me a truth serum, I actually think the Lord is thinks and loves and acts the way people do, the way I yep. do. Yep. And um, and so it's it's one of these reasons that I you know if if you cornered me, I don't know if I really truly believe that God loves me because you know I I wouldn't love me <laughs> the, based on the way I treat the Lord or whatever. I I wouldn't have picked myself or something like that. And uh, you know I I don't know if I really truly believe the Lord has forgiven me, I wouldn't have forgiven me the number of times the Lord has forgiven me. And this is kind of another wrinkle into this piece is that it's not so much that, look, if if you don't forgive people, you can't be forgiven. One of the things that it might be saying to us is, if I don't have the ability to forgive people, there may that may point to the fact that I don't really believe I'm forgivable. I, I believe that that God works the way I do. I believe his emotions are like my emotions. And the deeper and more truly I understand the way he is and the and the depth at which he has forgiven me and how different he is than me, then that's going to unlock my heart into being able to, to be open to forgiveness more. Again, I, I love where Jed started us out here, that this is an invitation to think more deeply about what's happened to us to be able to put words to it, to be able to name. This is, the, this is the pain that I feel, and this is why I felt it. Those are all super important things. I don't actually think that we can truly forgive until we can put a finger on it. And then the other thing is that this instructs us uh, uh, about the forgiveness of God, and it points to the fact that that sometimes we don't we feel like there's a wall between us and the Lord because we think that he forgives the way that we do. The deeper and more fully I understand the forgiveness I've received, the more open I am to actually being able to let some stuff go in my own life. That is all fantastic stuff from both these guys on the the matter at hand. I want to take a minute to zoom out to the preaching and because most likely there's one of two things that happened here. Um, the first one, and as someone who does a fair amount of preaching, uh, it happens to all of us is this, uh, person really, really overcooked something trying to be clever or cute. Mm. They tried to get into the verb tense. They tried to really deal with, you know, how important forgiveness is. And they ended up doing a little accidental heresy happens to the best of us, Mm -hmm. but, uh, that's, you know, it's not great. Um, but it does happen. Uh, hopefully not this big a heresy, but you know, it's, it's in there. The other thing is that they were very clearly saying, if you don't forgive people, you don't get salvation. And that's turns out we've left Christianity behind. We're now creating a new religion. They are <laughs> preaching salvation by works because forgiving someone is a work. So there's that it's, it is probably good to, at least in your own perception, figure out which this was, was this a, a person who mostly is on the right thing, who is kind to you, who you really respect and enjoy most of the stuff they do, who got a little lost in trying to make a a point in a neat way, as again, happens to a lot of preachers. And, you know, we move on and that's fine. You maybe you can ask a follow-up question or whatever, 
Or is this someone who is trying to manipulate you with something that is definitely not biblical to the point of being anti-biblical? Because those are going to be two different situations. One is a, well, that's not great. We'll file that away. And if this becomes a pattern, we'll look at it. And the second is a time to start looking for some new opportunities immediately. And uh, again, a big difference between those. We don't know which one it is, but it's worth looking at the not only what was said, but the context and the person saying it and what all happened there. Always worth looking at when you're hearing something from the pulpit. If you have a question for us, you can find us at saythatpodcast.gmail.com or thebridgechicago.tumblr.com slash ask. If you want to keep that entirely anonymous, please do continue to check out The Bridgecast every Sunday at 7 p.m. Central Time or at your own leisure over at facebook.com slash thebridgechicago. Lee mentioned uh, some great thoughts from a Jed Brewer worship song. We're going to take out one of those. It's called Your Thoughts Are Not My Thoughts. That Thanks for listening. Justin, remember, we yeah. love you. God bless you. There's nothing you can do about it. The Say That Podcast. Who's going to break your wild horses? <laughs> <laughs> Oh,